Welcome to Outdoors. I'm Brian, and this morning I'm super excited to have David Tucker from the Southwest Mon Southwest Montana Mountain Biking Association, or better known as SWIMBA. So, David, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, we were just talking about there's a lot of really fascinating history and things going on with uh, Montana developing its kind of mountain biking scene, which just as of recently really seems to be flourishing. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. And um, as, as uh, more of these interviews I do, the deeper the web gets. <laughs> and so the more, the more stories, the more intrigue and the more stoked kind of, kind of is emerging from the whole thing. So um, yeah, can, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in Swimba and um, a bit of the origin story of the organization? Um, yeah, so I, I got involved with Swimba um, through the Lionhead Work Weekend, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, for the past few decades, couple decades, um, since the trail system went into the Lionhead area down the Henry's Lake Mountains along the Continental Divide, um, a group of recreationalists that includes backcountry horsemen and mountain bikers um, in partnership with the Forest Service down there have gone into that zone and spent a full weekend clearing out the trails so that um, folks can use that. Um, the CDT is obviously a very popular through hike, so you get a lot of backpackers going through there, a lot of horsemen, um, and a few cyclists as well. So um, I got roped into that Suffer Fest of a weekend by uh, Bob Allen and a couple other kind of longtime Bozeman bikers and spent the weekend there and and what I witnessed was kind of this fantastic example of collaboration between recreational groups and um, agencies and just a, a group of people super committed to um, keeping the ride alive, keeping an area open for recreation um, and kind of committed to this collaborative process and I was just super impressed by everybody's commitment. And it kind of was the first time that it struck me that, um, you know, these trails don't clear themselves, they don't build themselves, they don't maintain themselves. And these 50 or so volunteers take a whole weekend out of their summer to open up just one trail. So um, I was kind of struck by that. And I, I um, started showing up to meetings and eventually um, you know, I was volunteering more myself, um, trying to use my skills at the time. I was a, a editor at Outside Bozeman Magazine, so I used my kind of uh, writing and media skills to tell the story of the of the mountain bike community as best I could, um, and that led to me being on the the Swimba board um, and just getting involved in it however I could to to keep this community not only growing but growing in a in a kind of positive direction because it's it's a real, it can be, and it has been a real asset for positivity. And we want to make sure that it continues to be that. Um, so yeah, so that's where I kind of come into the Swimba picture. Um, and I kind of am, am following in the footsteps or, or I guess, uh, tire tracks of, you know, this legacy of, of um, advocates that get goes back for, for decades now. So we're really, I think, with Swimba trying to build on what they have already put in place for us. And um, through their kind of tireless advocacy, we have 
trails left to ride because it's not always a guarantee that we're going to continue to have access to some of these areas. Um, Swimba has, has uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the third or fourth or fifth, I don't know how many iteration of the, of the advocacy um, community here in Montana. So um, to say, you know, Swimba kind of sprang out of these other, other groups and, and it has a new name now, but it definitely um, is, is kind of dependent or, or has a, is following the legacy that these other groups kind of already had in place. So we're hoping we can, continue to grow that legacy and, and honor it as we as we move forward. Nice. Yeah, I was talking with Bob Allen about the um, Montana Mountain Biking Association. Um, and it seemed like there was a pivotal time about what 2009, when there was a lot of legislation and, and things coming out about um, increasing wilderness areas, um, and also limiting, you know, ability for bikes to access those those areas and lot, lots of areas. So it seems like at that time, it was a, a point to really keep mountain biking alive because it was really being constricted. Um, so did, did Swimba kind of extend off of a lot of the folks who are involved in that organization, or um, how, how did that work? Um, as far as I as far as I know, and and Bob is definitely the kind of um, you know voice of of record as as far as this goes. But there was. Um, the, the Montana Mountain Bike Alliance was definitely the kind of advocacy arm, statewide advocacy arm of the, the mountain bike community. And they were doing a lot of really important work as far as organizing the voice and getting it into, you know, mountain bike publications and making sure that people were showing up for the kind of hard work of writing letters and talking to decision makers and um, that kind of that kind of work. Um, and then there was another group in Bozeman called the Dirt Concern. And the Dirt Concern was more of the um, trail building and community development, you know, the community outreach, you know, having pint nights and film festivals and raising the funds to try to reroute some trails or build new trails that are more bike oriented or even bike specific. Um, so those are just two of the the more formal organizations, but there's been a kind of a long legacy of, of um, you know, the bike culture here locally and, and also statewide because Montana Mountain Bike Alliance, they were, their efforts were not just focused on the Bozeman area. Um, and at that time and through the most recent kind of forest plan revision with a bunch of different forests across Montana, um, yeah, mountain bikers lost hundreds of miles of trail access that they had historically enjoyed um, as a non-motorized group. So that was what we were trying to avoid um, and come up with more kind of creative solutions to some of these management challenges. Um, so yeah, so that it's it's definitely, I think they their role was really and their skill set was really in in creating the the advocacy around this activity. Mm -hmm. and, and what sort of what organizations does Swimba work with to um, for for trail access and and uh, trail maintenance? Um, as far as as maintenance goes, we have um, partnerships with the Forest Service. Um, so so we have a volunteer agreement with the Forest Service where we work with them to kind of offset some of their um, funding 
voids. As we all know, the Forest Service has become kind of a woefully underfunded agency and, and a lot of their, especially from a recreation standpoint, and a lot of their funding goes into fighting fires now as, as the landscape has been drier and hotter across the West. And a lot of the funding goes into um, forest firefighting and recreation has really suffered. So one, one kind of um, silver lining to come out of that is that organization like Swimba can help with private fundraising and then, and then partner with the agency like the Forest Service that has the kind of jurisdiction and the experience and um, add capacity to the recreation equation where we can go in and, you know, clear trails of trees, fix drainage, um, work on tread, maybe do minimal reroutes, things like that, just the small things that help keep these trails accessible and, and not only accessible to mountain bikers, but accessible to all trail users. Um, because if you're a runner or a hiker or a, or a horseman or whatever you're, you're, however you're enjoying the forest and not having a bunch of trees down across the trail is really important to that experience. So um, I think Swimba is happy to fill that void with the Forest Service. Um, and then as far as projects like Copper City out near Three Forks, that is on Bureau of Land Management land. So the they're the landowners, they're the land managers, and we're the you know, private nonprofit that was able to write the grants, bring the volunteers in, um, have some, have the community step up in a big way with in-kind donations and cash donations to have that trail system out there. Um, we partner with the city of Bozeman, Gallatin County, you know, there's some, there's some bike parks in town that we're in the process of rebuilding and that requires partnerships with, with the city. Um, so definitely a lot of kind of government partnerships or partnering with government agencies, I should say. Um, and then there's the partnerships we have with other local nonprofits like the Gallatin Valley Land Trust. Um, Swimba has been part of the Gallatin Forest Plan, which is, um, or sorry, the Gallatin Forest Partnership, which is a, which is a group of, you know, of stakeholders focused on trying to come up with a um, collaborative solution to the land management from a recreation standpoint, at least um, issues that we're seeing across the Custer Gallatin. Um, and you may or may not know, but that we just went through a forest planning process that is that took about five years. And, and that was just the planning part. The getting to the um, starting line there was is again, that's you know, decades in the making. And the the partnerships that have come out of that are are great because it brings these groups that have slightly different missions to the table and we can realize that you know 99% of what we're talking about we agree on um, it's how do we uh, how do we take that that um, that agreement and turn it into something constructive going forward so partnerships are key to getting our work done we have a we have partnerships across the kind of spectrum from government agencies to to private um, nonprofit groups and whatnot so super important. Can you talk a little bit about um, how did Copper City come to being? Like from from some crazy idea to hey, let's build build some trails out here in the desert to to getting uh, you know all all the logistics together and getting everyone to buy into it. How did that How did that come about? Um, well, you'll I'll have to I'll have to defer you, and this was you'll have to have another conversation with another person to talk about the genesis of the idea because it it is not it is definitely not my idea um, and came from the 
creative mind of, of Tim Hawk and some other folks who had long sought a um, kind of shoulder season solution to, um, you know, the, the passionate for, for passionate mountain bikers around the area, because, you know, here we are, it's, it's Labor Day, or sorry, it's Memorial Day weekend, and our trails are really just starting to dry out in the mountains. And after this week's snow and rain, you know, they're really not dry and we have more precipitation um, or, or more uh, snow coverage on some of the higher alpine trails than we had two weeks ago. So it's always been a waiting game in Montana. And I think that um, the, the kind of genius of Copper City and the folks who conceptualized it was that it was this, you know, opportunity to, to extend the bike season, both in the spring and in the fall. Um, and it was also made possible by the fact that the Bureau of Land Management happens to be a place where you can get big projects like that built um, and done. So again, like Copper City only could happen because a bunch of passionate people um, or a handful of passionate people had an idea. It, they were persistent for, you know, over a decade. It's, it's only been there for a few years, but the actual process to get it there took closer to 15 years. Um, so it kind of just goes to show it's uh, how, how challenging some of these major trails projects can be. Um, and it was kind of a combination of someone who was not going to take no for an answer and the right, um, land managers at the time and the growth of Bozeman getting to the point where it could sustain a trail system 45 minutes away in three forks. Um, and just the demand for more shoulder season rides and also beginner rides, because the whole, the whole idea with Copper City is it's not only going to be available in the shoulder seasons, but there's also going to be trails that have lower barriers to entry um, that are built for bikes that um, are accessible to beginners, intermediate families, younger folks, older folks. It's just a place where you can really establish a community around a bike trail system or, or a trail system. You know, we have a lot of trail runners out there. There's trail running races out there. So um, while it was definitely conceived by bikers, it's enjoyed by a lot of folks. So, um, but I think that there's a probably another episode of this of this podcast that can be just about Copper City, um, where you might bring in a panel of people to talk about, you know, how all that came together, because um, there's definitely that in, in itself is a great story and a kind of shining example of like, you know, what does this take? It takes a whole lot of effort and mostly done by volunteers um, and you know, the community coming together to pitch in a ton of, a ton of in-kind donations and um, all that kind of stuff. So the, the kind of genius of the idea is followed up by kind of rigorous administration of grants and, and making sure that there's volunteers in place to go out there and work on it all the time. Um, so yeah, I would, um, Tim Hawk is the man you want to talk to there. He's the next episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really brilliant idea and the um, it feels more like almost like a Nordic center. You know, if you're a Nordic skier, you go to the, the parking lot and then there's lots of trails to go off on and to be able to access it. Like you're saying this time of year is super frustrating. If you're trying to ride anywhere around here, you just have to sit and wait, you know, for things to dry. So to have some desert yeah. riding nearby is just a great, great option. 
Um, yeah, I think we were out there. I was out there um, Martin Luther King weekend in January, and it was still dry. And then we were back out there um, the second week of March, and it was dry again. So that's pretty good. 10-month, 11-month riding season in southwest Montana is definitely new. So, you know, the more kind of areas we can look to have these intentional trail systems that are thought out and they're on, um, you know, in zones that are going to drain well or be dry earlier or uh, stay dry later. It, it does add a, a great um, experience for the mountain bikers. Cause like you said, it's like, it does create that kind of center of formal recreation, which is not always the point of, you know, being on public lands and, and in the, on the forest service, but it is nice to have because we, we know we need it. You know, there's, there's a bunch of cross country centers all across the state of Montana. We have three or four locally, um, but we don't really have that kind of bike infrastructure. So I think that's what out of, out of Copper City, we've kind of identified this crazy demand that we all of a sudden have locally. Um, the next question is, you know, how do we supply that demand? Right. Right. And I've been talking with, you know, GVLT and I also talked with the, the big sky um, you know community group about uh, their trail systems that they're working on building to connect more of these areas from a form of commuting and recreation you know so so as we start to get a lot more uh, demand for riding in this area in general uh, what is Swimba thinking long term term about how to facilitate that without getting the trails overrun with people or you know having the, those sort of issues how can people access things at different points? Um, how do you think about that with the, the growth of demand of mountain biking in this, in this area? Well, I think we've seen the last, you know, decade at least, but definitely in the last 18 months, just an overwhelming pressure on the trail system. And I think for a long time, the Gallatin Valley and Southwest Montana got away with um, having, we have a ton of trail so trail, the mileage is not necessarily the issue, but there's a lot of things like, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the parking stuff, or um, how can we kind of handle this new volume of users without ruining um, not only the resource, but also the experience for everybody. Um, so I think where we're looking to connect, and you said connectivity, and that's part of it is, you know, we have these, we have these in-town parks that are kind of, were, were worked on by volunteers, maintained by volunteers, and kind of funded through uh, our donations. But now I think we're looking to scale those up to, okay, we want some professionally built parks in town to create the space for people to bike straight to those parks. Because there's a lot of people that are really happy to just hit dirt jumps all day, and that's what they want to do, or to ride the pump track all day with their family, and that's what they want to do. So if we can have these, those kinds of locations, either bikeable or short commutes, you know, easy to carpool, easy to kind of set up shop there. And that takes a big pressure off of the public lands trails that don't have things like jumps and um, that aren't necessarily optimized for biking. So that's, a, that's part of it. That's, you know, maybe step one, but then there's definitely a need and you look around the West at these growing towns there's these, this formal recreation piece that exists now. And we've, we've had it for decades at ski areas and the, you know, bike areas are kind of the next, the, the, the growth of that, um, as bikes have become, you know, um, more accessible from a technology standpoint, meaning that like the technology makes them more fun to ride. Um, they're certainly not accessible enough from a, from a cost standpoint, you know, 
that's still a real barrier, but they are, if you can afford one, you can get on one and ride them and they're really, really user-friendly now. And all of a sudden these trails are much more approachable. So we have more people looking to get out on mountain trails. So we need to, we need to look to places where there's some of this formal infrastructure already in place and try to um, develop systems in those areas. Um, we have some of that going on across the forest, um, but we need to we need to kind of take the next step with some of that stuff so that we are able to create, um, you know, trail systems that support some of this demand, um, because right now we don't quite have that. So that's where we're looking is, you know, where can we identify um, other places to basically take something like a Copper City concept, which has this, you know, genius um, one, one trailhead, but then it branches out into all these different potential rides and they're all looped and you kind of stack all these rides into what is by, you know, Montana public land standard, a pretty small piece of land. Um, so that's, you know, we could, we could probably sustain three or four copper cities within, you know, 20 minutes of downtown Bozeman and all of the parking areas would be full. So, um, that's what we're really hoping to, to grow in the next few years is this um, connectivity of trails and the lower the barrier to entry, because right now you have to be really fit and you have to be pretty, um, you know, gung ho to get out on some of our trails like they're they're still have a pretty backcountry vibe, even though they're even the ones that are close to town, you know, they're not necessarily um, friendly for beginners or folks who are moving here from, you know, Michigan or somewhere where we're not at elevation. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's what we would love to see. And I think that the town piece is, is great because it creates that gateway to the mountains. So we need to we need to develop that simultaneously. Yeah, I think there's a real gap, you know, obviously you got the, the GVLT trails, which are basically, you know, flat gravel trails for the most part that are great because you can get around all sorts of places, you know, like 80 some miles within the Bozeman area. Um, and now connecting Main Street to mountains where you can actually get to the Bridger Foothills Trail um, or you can get to the Connector Trail and Painted Hills, that sort of thing, are starting to get a little bit more um, intermediate terrain rather than just like totally flat. And then, then you ride another 15 miles on a dirt road in rough trails that they get into like Black Diamond Mountain Country, right? <laughs> I have a, um, this is not part of any Swimba idea, but I have a personal dream to um, take GVLT's, you know, Main Street to the mountains to the M and then, you know, we have that foothills trail and it's a national recreation trail. It starts at the M and it goes all the way to Ferry Lake. If you, if you can kind of uh, follow the, follow the ruts and the, washed out sections and the it's 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 in need of a facelift and i think it would be so cool to have that get enough of enough attention that maybe that turns into you know intermediate skills can ride that all the way to ferry lake you would need kind of expert level um maybe some route finding or just like the fitness and you know you get into some of those drainages and the bridgers and even though it seems like it's oh it's just the bridges it's right there you know, you don't want to get, you don't want to get stuck in a bad way. So, but if we can create a trail, a kind of trail resource that um, from town, you can be at Ferry Lake on a, on a nice intermediate grade trail for rent runners, hikers, backpackers, bikers, um, you know, what a, what a resource that would be for our community. Um, 
so there are little things like that that you know and and i think what what we also know is that there's like i said earlier like there's there's so much trail in our valley on the from the west side of the bridgers to the kind of you know north of bridger bowl between between bridger bowl and ferry lake um the bang tail has a lot of trail the front of the gallatin range has a lot of trail the Mosier area has a lot of trail um so I think what we need to do in the next five years is to figure out the connectivity piece, not only from town, but, you know, if there's a, a large parking area somewhere where you can go on a three mile beginner loop from that parking area, or you can go on a hundred mile backcountry epic from that, from that same trailhead. So um, there is an element of needing to bring a little bit of kind of um, structure to our recreation at this point because the demand has made it necessary. And I don't think that we're, even if we see a downtick in demand, it's been such an uptick that it's still, you know, I, and maybe we haven't seen the, I don't think we've seen the peak of the demand yet either. So we're gonna kind of have our, um, you know, we're gonna, this is gonna be kind of forced upon us one way or another. And I think that it's better to have some planning and management around it than to just let it happen ad hoc, so. Yeah. And you know, that, that model with Copper City where you have the, the brilliant thing about it too, is you start off and there's, you know, Green Eagle, which you, your little kid can go on a Strider bike and do sections of that, you know, yeah. and then the, the farther out you go, the more advanced it gets. So you see some, some places like up in Highlight or, you know, Bear Canyon where um, right now there's some pretty good sections of trail right next to some really bad super rough, you know, like baby head rocks everywhere and just really yep. almost unrideable. So if, you know, some, and I, from my understanding on, uh, you know, forest plans and a lot of, a lot of this is long, really long cycles, like you're talking about 10, 15 years. So to get those new trails opening up, it's, it's not very likely that new trails are going to be built in places like that but the management and possibly, I guess, how do you approach that from the perspective of, um, regrading a trail or making something that was there, but not very usable for certain groups, more usable. I think that when, um, agencies, whatever the agencies are, and just individuals within the community continue to see, sometimes you just, you have to see it to believe it type of thing where the more pressure we're going to see on trailheads, it just becomes painfully obvious that, um, we have to allow for some change to existing trail. If we're not going to be able to build new trail systems, we have to say, okay, um, how can we turn, you know, the, this three miles of, like you said, unrideable, basically Creek bed into, you know, can we build some switchbacks into this? I don't know if you are familiar with like the middle cottonwood example where middle cottonwood, um, is a super technical trail, but it was also like a pretty brutal hike straight up a, a meadow. And the Forest Service went in and they rerouted that section through a meadow. And now that's still a really expert level kind of from a fitness perspective bike ride. Um, but now it's rideable. And it's also it's also more hikeable because it's not just a rut that gets that becomes a creek in the spring. You know, it's it's an actual 
uh, trail that drains well through a meadow. And now that the grass is regrown and the flowers are back, you can't even notice that there was ever a trail elsewhere. So um, I think we, we really need to look to that. And another thing that happened in the last uh, year that's great news is the Great American Outdoors Act passed, which means we have land and water conservation fund money again, and projects are, are, are starting to come down the pike that um, these maintenance projects and these, these um, you know, rehabilitation and reclamation projects for some of these trail systems, um, all of a sudden there's, there's a little bit of funding for stuff like that. And I think when people start to see, you know, that one trail that's always been a suffer fest climb is now kind of oh, this is, this is the right grade again, or they finally fixed that drainage or this one switchback that I always, you know, couldn't clean. Now I can clean it and the ride's that much better or um, that kind of stuff is going to, or there's a, now there's an actual, you know, vault toilet, some trailhead that was covered in, you know, human waste or something like that. Like those small incremental changes, they make a huge difference to the overall experience. Um, so I think when you start to give people those tastes, they'll definitely uh, get on board more and more and more. And then it, it does, you know, it takes a little bit of, of uh, positive pressure on agencies or nonprofits or um, city commissions or whoever it is, you know, you do have to, you do have to vocalize the need for this stuff in an organized and constructive way. Um, because if we all just, sit around in our little bubbles and complain about it, no one's ever going to do anything about it. So um, I think one thing that Swimbo really wants to do more of and has has started to do a lot more of is just like constructive outreach to the community, our community, but also all the other trail using communities. So, you know, I would love to see some sort of like forum, some sort of open forum that we all talk to each other again, because it seems, and I know these things are all happening, but maybe with more of like a organized by a by a public information outlet that is better at broadcasting these things publicly because um we're gonna we're gonna be hit with like a real crunch here in the next probably this summer you know last summer was one thing but i think we're in for even more so this summer um 2021 um so there does need to be kind of a, a and i know that you know they're going through the triangle plan which is a which is a huge planning process um, the county is doing their planning process and these things kind of have, the timing has been, everything's coming to a head all at once. And I think that that's like, I'm excited to see what comes out of all that because, um, you can't deny any of this stuff anymore. So, um, yeah. yeah. One of the things I'm, you know, concerned about is there was some legislation this, this past spring about, um, reducing the ability for, uh, well, I guess giving private landowners the ability to restrict easements on their properties to access public lands. Yeah. And so I could see if, if things aren't managed very well and we get certain places that are super overrun, you know, especially parking lots, that seems to be a really big problem area. Um, and you get private landowners that don't appreciate that, then they obviously would, would, would not like that. So uh, putting pressure on restricting access to these massive swaths of public land you know, and I was talking with with Mike England about about that concern, and, and he kind of brought up the point of Bostwick, which is a one of the drainages off of the Bridgers, right? Foothills. So you look at the map and you see, oh, you get Cottonwood and Sipes, and you get Corbley and all these places. And then what's this one? And that that is a private area in the front uh, that 
that doesn't have an easement anymore for public access. And he said, people forget that those can go away and then they don't come back. Right. So, so I guess, you know, as the, as the community grows, that's would be like the big concern in my mind. Um, how do you make sure it's responsible management uh, with, with the recreation? So it's not so much pressure that the entire access is cut off and you lose all that. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a lot of different pieces to that question. I think when you can look at in, you know, just, just North or not just North, but up the Canyon um, from from Bostwick, you have the North Cottonwood example where there's a big parking area and an easement through private land to get to the forest service access behind the private land. So, you know, solutions do exist and there are landowners that are willing that there, there are kind of mechanisms for accessing public land through private land. It takes a lot of partnership. It takes, it takes partnership. It also takes um, recreationalists who are willing to, kind of, uh, you know, play by the rules or take accountability for their actions on public lands because um, you're going to show up to trailheads and there's not going to be any parking for you and you're going to have to go somewhere else or ride or ride tomorrow or not feel entitled to that recreation that day. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's it's the private landowners, it's the state legislatures, but it's state's legislator, excuse me, state legislators, but it's also um, there is some onus on individuals to, to understand that like, yeah, this, this can go away if we mess it up. Mm -hmm. Um, there are other examples of trails on private land that have been removed from access in the last, you know, 12 months. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, a lot of it can go away. So it's really, really important to, you know, if you, if people are making decisions at a policy level that you don't agree with, you know, you have a voice there and you can use it and you should and you can also influence people through behaviors um, on our public lands and make sure that you were not feeling entitled to any of this um, and that we're continuing to do things like advocate and volunteer and um that's all that's an important piece of this whole thing i think yeah um, that sometimes gets lost it's like it's not it's our land it's not my land you know there's it's it's all of our land so we should think about it in that way um and try to try to bring that mindset to to all of this as well so um we have we do have a loud voice in the community and swimble will be using it more we have a, a large member base you know 2300 members we're the largest bike club in montana um and we have or the, I think, fifth largest bike club in the country by membership number. So that shows that, like, that can be a really, really loud voice for um, this kind of more formal infrastructure that we're talking about. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, there's a lot of responsibility with that, within that membership group and within this user group to, um, you know, acknowledge their, the, their, um, you know, how they can be agents for, for, good you know how they can how they can move this conversation and this this um demand on our public lands in in the right direction um so yeah so that's a big piece of it to me yeah yeah definitely you know and i i guess i i keep thinking back to that you know copper city model nordic trail system model where um like places like uh you know like big sky in the winter time the um, lone mountain ranch has multiple access points for the trail system 
right? So you can get it in the meadow, you can buy your pass online, you can, you know, go to the lodge if you want, but there's not like part of the COVID thing, right? They're trying to spread people out. So there's not this like massive, like one group in one spot, it's kind of spread out. And if you look at the opportunities that this whole region has to create not just individual trails, but integrated trail systems that people can access and be able to either shuttle cars together, um, go by bike, ride from home, which is my favorite option. <laughs> I hate waiting in parking lots. I just don't do it anymore. Yep. I can avoid it. Um, or having one-way trails. So you're not having kind of this constant, you know, <laughs> you get a better flow going that way. So yeah. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm thinking about like, you know, ongoing, if that's a way to manage more of the, the pressures is develop more of these like integrated trail systems that operate maybe more like a larger Nordic center. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's like, that's uh 100% key to the, the future of recreation. Now that we have this population size that really needs that kind of management. Um, so yeah, so I'd love to see, you know, you look at the, there's, there are places that there's clusters of trailheads already and um, you know, the North Bridgers between Bridger Bowl and Ferry Lake is another place I go back to a lot because um, it's, a, it, there's, there's, you know, mixed management in there. There's um, a couple of private entities that are recreation focused. So have uh, a kind of a say and an, and an interest in um, continuing to develop recreation resources. Um, but then there's also just, there's a lot of the infrastructure is there right now. You know, you have, from Ferry Lake, there's four or five trailheads and parking areas on the Ferry Lake Road, right? There's a campground, there's trails, there's system trails already off of that area. Um, and then you come closer to town and there's Battle Ridge with a campground and a big parking area. There's roads through there. It's motorized access. So there's a lot of different uses that you could accommodate there. You go down and then you're at Bracket and there's another big trailhead and another road with three or four trailheads um, that has a bunch of, you know, road grade in there already and a lot of single track already. Um, so that's an example of if, if can we, you know, can we turn that into something more? Can mm -hmm. we take that and really develop it? Um, so th th those are those are kind of dream projects, right, where you would maybe there's nothing on the books. There's nothing that's that's like in the, that's uh, guaranteed and it takes a ton of collaboration and collaboration tends to take a lot more time. Um, but that's, you know, that's where the vision needs to go is, okay, where's the low hanging fruit and let's, yeah. let's, um, you know, pick the low hanging fruit first, because that's, right. that's where we're going to get. Cause if you had, you know, imagine if we had a, a hundred mile system mm -hmm. and you could park at Bridger, Battle Ridge, Ferry Lake Road, Olson Creek, they made a formal um, parking area there. Maybe there's a parking area along Bangtail somewhere so that you could have that kind of shuttle. Um, and then there's the Stone Creek Trailhead. And so there's like, there's a real opportunity in that zone. Um, and there are other zones that are similar. One thing that we're really just challenged by here is, you know, Bozeman's kind of out in the valley and it's, it's 10 miles of private land between Bozeman and the actual public land. So that's a big challenge. Um, and GBLT has been really successful in getting us to the mountains. Um, but then, you know, we need to take that one step further. Um, yeah. and I was, I was talking with Scott Schmidt from um, Crosscut 
And, you know, he, he had this dream project idea of how, what if they could connect some of their trails, they're building some flow trails and things kind of between Bridger and Bracket Creek to make more of an integrated loop for the whole bank tails that way. So right. you're yeah, not just like, epic. Right. So you're not just like this, this crazy, like, uh, you know, parking lot situation at Stone Creek or Bracket Creek, you know, to, to shuttle for the ride, but you could actually loop through crosscut, you know, through the, through those areas and get off the road more. <laughs> yeah. You know, relieve some stress on the parking areas. So I think those could be some really amazing opportunities, especially if they're more moderate trails right off of the right off of the road where people could do shorter rides, but then you can go in and yeah, go as far as you want to go. Yeah. I think it's really an exciting time because there's, you know, we've been in this kind of bottleneck for a long time for a variety of reasons. Um, and now there's a lot of creative people trying to find creative solutions to these, um, you know, problems that have persisted for a while, because a lot of this, yeah, there's a big, there's new pressure, um, there's increased pressure, but we've also, you know, for folks that have been around longer, all of these, all of this has kind of already been identified as something that people want, you know, now it's something more that more, it's more of a need now than a want, you know, but it's, it's always been a dream. And now I think we've reached the point where um, it's kind of this like, oh, no, now we need it, you know, um, so we've kind of turned that corner to more of and need, you know, need is a strong word, I get it, that's we don't need it, but we kind of I think one thing with COVID was like, well, well, actually, we kind of need this stuff. You know, like this community, the people who live here, what they value, they actually need these resources um, in a way that it's not just kind of this like um, fun hogging, you know, it's purely recreation. It actually matters in a way that's a little bit more important than just, oh, it's it's just biking or it's just trail running. It's like, well, no, it's it's mental health, it's physical health, it's community connection, it's it's a lot of people's livelihoods in this town. You know, it's a, it's it's a huge piece of of Bozeman and of of the Western of the you know kind of developing West in general. Um, it's not all good, but a lot of it is really really positive. So let's keep the positive part of it growing, and let's figure out a way to make it even more positive. Um, the other big thing is, you know, if we have these kind of formalized bike spaces. Um, we reduce trail conflict on all the trails because trail conflict is a is a thing. It's not it's useless to ignore it. Um, it's not a conflict just between bikers and non-bikers. It's a it's a conflict now between hikers and runners and back and horsemen and backpack. Like it's, it, we all and conflict is like you know that has a negative connotation, but it just means that you know it's more it's more just like okay, you're you're what you're doing does affect what I'm doing. It doesn't need to affect it negatively, but it, it's like, it's factual that it affects it, right? Like that's just a fact. So I think, I think finding places that we can remove some of that con conflict a little bit more um, without restricting access or getting, doing away with access is really great because now we can go back to all just realizing that we love being on trails and we don't have to be in this, this like, forced conflict space um so that is another thing that i would be really excited about as far as um developing bike infrastructure because it just it it's just um it's really a solution right yeah so so what are you most excited about this this upcoming summer that uh, swim is working on um i'm really excited about and this is going to come as a surprise to everybody who knows me but i'm really excited about the the in-town bike project park projects 
because I think that they are the, are one space that one we can they're right in their you know the dirt jump rebuild is at the Westlake Park is like right in what we're now kind of trying to make the center of Bozeman you know this midtown neighborhood that has a lot of new um, residential development there's commercial development happening and we're going to have a really awesome world-class bike park right there and you don't need a car you don't need a fancy bike you can go there with your friends after school you can go there you know in the spring or fall when things are starting to shut down in the mountains and you can continue to have this uh, connection to biking and i think you know i'm not a, a dirt jumper by any means definitely not um, but it does serve as this kind of gateway to the activity. And it, I think it'll serve as this like really great hub for the community where, all right, you don't have every day and every ride in Bozeman is essentially a three plus hour outing, right? By the time you get there, you know, it, it takes a while to go mountain biking. But now we have a space, we've always had it, but it's going to get a huge upgrade where people can ride 10 minutes and, and go mountain biking, you know? And I think that's like, um, and it's, it'll have, it'll have access for multiple skill levels. Um, it's in a, it's in town, which I just think is so great. And we don't have a ton of opportunities to really like establish that culture in town. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, and I'm just excited to get all of the, we have so many people who are coming from areas now that have, um, skills and knowledge and, and interest in, this kind of formal bike stuff that we're talking about these these like kind of more developed bike resources and i think that there's there's an opportunity there to empower those people to help influence the direction of of like the bike scene in bozeman in a positive way they need to understand at the same time that you know yeah it snows in in may and june in southwest montana so sometimes we can't go biking when we want to um it's not it's not a year-round thing that we can do here and there's there's it's likely that some of the stuff that you had in your other town will never have but we have other stuff that your town will also never have so um kind of a, just establishing that culture and and kind of pulling the community together you know whether you're a dirt jumper a downhiller or an xc strava person or you bike pack or whatever you know swimba is is the place where all those people can come together and kind of connect to bikes and however they connect to bikes. Um, so I think that we're, we're at that point now where, you know, we can, we can kind of just serve as this hub and empower all those different groups to grow their part of the community in a positive way. Um, and, and, and kind of take the insight from, take the feedback from those people and, and try to put it into play. Um, so we've just had such a, so much interest this spring in in biking which i think is it's a net positive overall and um where we fit in is making sure it stays a net positive and, and further influencing it to to be more and more and more positive um because i think biking is good for the it's, it's just good for us as a community overall um so yeah so that's what i'm you know i've, I've long long been a biker i guess um so i'm glad that there are now so many other people that want to be bikers too so I, I think that that's really really great to see awesome well where can people go to learn more about the programs coming up and more about swimba in general um the best place to get the kind of big picture info is definitely our website 
which is southwestmontanamba.org. Um, if you're interested in kind of the day-to-day, -day, hey, where are you guys volunteering this week or where's the group ride this week, our social media is definitely the place to get that information. Um, unfortunately, given our, you know, kind of schizophrenic weather here, we don't do much. We, we you know, we have to update kind of as the week progresses because we don't know where we're going to be riding or if we're going to be riding because the weather really plays a, a important role in that. But every Thursday from 6 to 9 p.m., we're doing something somewhere, whether it's a dig day or a group ride or if it pours rain, we'll, you know, have beers at the brewery or grab a cider. Um, so social media, Instagram and Facebook are definitely the two places to keep the most up to date. Um, and then we send out some pretty regular emails. If you want to jump on the email list, that's super easy to do through the website. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, David. Really fascinating having you on the on the podcast and look forward to, to seeing you out on the trails. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having us. And, and I would uh, um, just one more thing is I would encourage for some of the historical stuff and understanding kind of how Swimba has come to be. You know, the I think our website says we were formed five years ago, but the the kind of legacy of mountain bike advocacy and the only reason that we're kind of able to exist, it really does rest on the kind of shoulders of these folks who came before us. Um, there's a lot of them around. You might not see them as much anymore because they have their, you know, secret stashes that they are uh, kind of um, they're you know, they've earned them. So um but though it's really important to acknowledge that like our trails don't didn't pop up overnight and even things like copper city that's only a couple of years old that's that took decades to get done um so shout out to those people we appreciate them always and uh privilege to keep keep the work moving forward excellent thanks again david thank you